praying and preparing uh, for you. Um, that posture of prayer and preparation for us um, is a part of what we call our team code um, here at FCC. By the way, that's something you learn about in Next Steps. If you've never heard me talk about team code or you have no clue what that is or you've been here for 20 years and you think, what's a team code? Come to Next Steps. Just saying. So in that team code, we have this uh, thing we say where we say we pre-prayer. And yes, that's cheesy. And it's an amalgamation of two words, praying and preparing. Um, we pre-prayer as if the word does the work. Souls are at stake. Excellence matters. And feedback helps. Which means that we are serious about putting together um, a Sunday morning experience that's about helping you find and follow Jesus. Uh, so thank you for being here today. All that is to say, thank you for being here today. <laughs> Um, if you want to learn more about the team code, how things work here, what our vision is, how you can get connected, um, please join us for next steps. Uh, you can sign up for that in the hub. Today is week one of four in a series called Burned. And uh, if you need a Bible or a study guide for this series, um, we've got guest services, peeps coming down the aisles, um, new study guide for this new series. Um, if you need a Bible because you forgot one today or you want one that you don't have at home to call your own, Take it, put your name in it, it's yours. Um, these study guides are for us, um, the curriculum we use for our time together in small groups where we take what we've learned on Sundays and apply it in community together. So if you're in a small group, if you're in a life group, that's your curriculum. If you're not yet in a life group, uh, go to the hub back there and get in one. Or if you're not in one but you still want to study along with us, you can take that study guide. It's got place for sermon notes. It's got daily Bible readings that fit with the passage, the whole nine yards. Uh, okay, enough about all that. So today is week one of four in a new series called Burned, uh, where we're going to um, expose and address wounds that people experience from church life, uh, whether we've been hurt uh, by church members or leaders, or we've been the perpetrators of that hurt. We're going to talk about this from all vantage points in the next four weeks. Sometimes that kind of pain uh, can leave us confused, hurt, uh, or isolated. And so we want to expose what's behind that, the kind of gossip and hypocrisy and self-righteousness, um, even in our own lives, uh, and, and offer here at First Christian a message of hope and of comfort and of reconciliation uh, to those who need the healing of a healthy and growing body of believers uh, where Christ is head and not any one of us. Hey, uh, before we get into 2 Corinthians 1, which we're going to read from in just a second, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 11, you want to have that handy. Um, quick shout out to those of y'all who shared our burned promo video online. Um, all y'all who did that, very helpful. Uh, thank you much for doing that. By the way, if you're from another part of the country, all y'all means everyone. Um, that's about as funny as it gets today for the record. So I hope you enjoyed that tiny little chuckle there. Um, we had lots of folks view uh, the promo video online, uh, 12,000 views, 6,000 unique people viewing it, almost 40 comments, uh, over 60 shares, which may sound like gobbledygook to you, um, but it shows that we're hitting a nerve um, with this series, and uh, you're helping us build online momentum, which may sound sort of superficial and silly, like I've been in church my whole life. It's not about online relationships. No, but, but half of the people we have come, found us online, visited Facebook, uh, responded to a comment online, 
um, saw our web page, uh, found us on Google um, search. So um, we want to be a place that continues to, to say to people, hey, <laughs> we want to help you uh, continue to become who God made you to be here at First Christian. So keep sharing that stuff online. Uh, plus, it costs us nothing. That's also about as funny as it gets today. So enjoy that. Second Corinthians, the second chapter today is where we're going to be. You'll want to have that handy. Um, not only um, are we going to be reading that here in just a moment, we're going to be studying those verses together during the sermon time here. Um, so uh, we, we're a church that values gathering around the Word of God. Um, so if you're not sure where Second Corinthians is, by the way, just sort of thumb through to about three-quarters or so of the Bible. It's right after First uh, Corinthians. Yeah. Thank you for laughing. That is the pinnacle right there. <laughs> That's the pinnacle of the humor today. Let's read together in just a moment here. Second Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll pray to get our hearts ready to hear from the Lord. It says this, Second Corinthians 1, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, in the quiet of these moments, we pause to set our hearts and minds about your project of teaching us, of healing wounds, of helping us deal with, through your Son Jesus, the problem of sin that infects our relationships and that affects us as a body. Lord, we ask for um, correction where it's needed, we ask for comfort where it's needed. We ask today, as we read earlier in the first chapter of John about Jesus who came in the fullness of, of grace and truth, we ask today for, for a holy balance that looks like your heart and that comes from your character and nature so that we would be uh, healthy and whole and so that we would continue to be made after your image and increasingly after your likeness so that the reliance upon 
The sacrifice of Jesus would be enough for us. That in our relationships with one another and in our interactions, we would model the fullness of grace and truth. That we would practice that. That it wouldn't just be uh, fanciful ideas or, <laughs> or wonderful principles to talk about. But that that would be how we actually operate with one another, Lord. Uh, give us this foundation uh, so that we would become uh, people and marriages and homes so that we would be a congregation where you are fully on display through your Spirit's work in us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So I'm no great fan of, of oversharing <laughs> or of being overdramatic, um, but, well, here it goes. It's not ever overshare, don't worry. And it might sound overdramatic at first. Um, however, I know that what I'm about to say is true about me. And I want to tell you a little bit about why. So given that I'm a preacher's kid who grew up in a ministry family where my identity was basically entirely wrapped up in church, and given that I have experienced pretty decent deal of church hurt for my 45 years. If I'm being totally honest with you today, for me, every day in ministry now presses on this personal issue of processing my previous pain from church hurt. So welcome. Let me tell you just a little bit. Uh, of why this is the case for me personally. Uh, and I'll just share the tip of the iceberg, really, just tactfully, carefully, not going to divulge uh, too much detail. Um, <laughs> you hear me, oversharers? So um, I loved my church. It's where I committed my heart to Jesus in earnest. It's where I dedicated my life to serving God. It's where I first learned to be a leader. It's where I learned about the larger mission of what God's doing in the world. For me, in my church home, I was loved for and cared for at my home church. My best friends were all there. All my best friends. I mean, I had best friends. Not only did we do church together, we did life together. I loved those people and they loved me. My life was like an internet meme I came across um, a few weeks ago, it said everybody talks about Jesus' miracles of turning water into wine, uh, the miracle of raising people from the dead. But the real miracle that nobody talks about is that Jesus had 12 friends in his 30s. Are we preaching yet, young people in your 30s? Like I had best friends in my early 20s at my home church. Great, great memories. Fond memories to this day. And so for me, this, this deep sense of belonging to that place and to those people had become important to me by my early 20s because as a kid, we moved a lot and instability had, had kind of become the norm for us. Um, growing up, I had learned because of that geographical instability and, and moving a lot, I had learned to survive in all manner of, of sort of contexts and cultures. Um, but this church finally had become a place for me of stability and health and safety. For the first time in my life, I felt a very strong sense, a healthy sense of place and belonging outside of just my nuclear family. 
So for me, it is not an exaggeration to say that my personal identity was tied in with my church family. It's like we've joked about a few times here and there uh, in sermons. Uh, my home church was like Cheers Church, right? Where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. When you walk in the door and everybody says, thank you for playing along again. I think that's the third time. It was like that for me. It really was. All that came to a pretty abrupt end in my early 20s. Uh, Long story short, uh, my dad was on staff at the church there and he got wrapped up in the the worship wars of the, the 80s and 90s that some of you might remember. And And my family was forced to leave uh, by circumstances that felt entirely unfair and beyond my control. Which meant that for me, that place of safety and security and that place of belonging that I finally felt I had with my friends there was taken away overnight by the ones that I had trusted to care for my family. To me at the time, Uh, Though it takes the perspective of 25 years to see this, for me it felt like an injustice. I was powerless to maintain my place of identity and security, and it hurt. (laughs) And wouldn't you know it, God has called me to process this while working for the last 25 years in the same environment that created it. Yay. So for me, my past is a large part of why I am so deeply passionate about creating a church environment where hurt people find healing. It's like I said earlier, given what I grew up in and what I've experienced, every day of being in ministry now involves some measure of processing through previous pain. So I stand before you today feeling fairly well qualified to preach about church hurt. Friends, church hurt is real. Church hurt is real. Many of you have grown up with similar circumstances. And what makes it hard for so many is this. The church promises lasting peace and love, and safety, in a forever relationship with God. And that is all true, and that is all possible. But it is also a place that is dramatically affected by the sins of the people in it. That's just the normal effects of sin and human brokenness. Churches are affected by the sins of the people in them. But churches are also, too often, and too easily, places of legalism, and shame, and rejection, betrayal, and gossip, hypocrisy, and even abuse at times. Church hurt is real, and I'm sure many of you have stories that would, would parallel mine. And maybe you're here today because you've been burned by Christians who were more worried about measuring how you looked or acted uh, externally than the condition of your heart internally. Right? I know some of y'all are shaking your head on the inside. Ironically, some people on the outside don't see it. Been there, done that. Many of us have worn that t-shirt. 
and are wearing it now. Maybe you've been burned by Christians who shamed you perhaps uh, publicly for something that was done or, or said, maybe even for something that happened in your family for which you bear no personal responsibility. <laughs> if that's you, you're not alone. Been there, done that. Many of us have that t-shirt. Maybe you've been burned by Christians, uh, burned by Christians who, who gossiped about you, uh, people who thought, who you thought were your friends who were saying something different behind your back than they were to your face. If that's you, you're not alone. Been there, done that, wearing the t-shirt. Maybe you've been burned by people who claimed to follow Christ, who were abusive, perhaps spiritually, perhaps emotionally, perhaps even physically or sexually or other ways. If that's you in this very room, you are not alone. Some of us have that t-shirt too. Church hurts real, and it's not worth pretending it's not. If any of you have experienced that kind of thing, we want to be a place where you can experience healing. You see, when you've been burned by Christians, what too easily happens is that instead of going away with the sense that God loves you, that you are cared for, that that the gospel is real for you even, (laughs) you easily go away having learned a perverted gospel where not only does God's love seem conditional for you, but so does the acceptance of those who claim to know the gospel and to love you. It's easy with church hurt to go away with a sense that that the body of Christ is not a safe place to pursue meaningful relationship with God. So how do we prevent? <laughs> how do we do the best we can? How, how do we do our part in preventing burning people so that instead of hindering them, we are helping them find and follow Jesus? How do we become healthy enough personally, individually, and corporately, how do we become healthy enough to work through pain that is real and to come out the other side so that God can even use us to help others heal? Those are the kinds of questions we're going to ask during this series in the next four weeks. And today I'd like to propose uh, that we have two underlying problems. As we jump into the text here, I want to propose we have two underlying problems. And these problems go far deeper uh, than simple hypocrisy or what the world would call judgmentalism. Uh, Ironically, the two underlying problems that we have are that we don't know how to deal with sin and pain and hurt. And if we do, we are often unwilling to do so. When it comes to dealing with sin and pain and hurt, there are two underlying problems we have. Number one, we're either unaware of how to do that, or secondly, we are unwilling. It's usually a combination of both of those. In our passage today that we just read in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, in verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul helps a church that he planted deal with its own drama, so to speak. <laughs> and he gives us some tools for how to deal with ours. So jump in with me, if you would, please, at verse 1 of chapter 2 in Second Corinthians. 
where Paul says this. He says, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Press pause. The first four verses here are a little complicated, uh, but they help put into perspective for us the conflict that Paul was addressing here when he wrote to the Corinthian church. So Paul says, verse one, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. He says this because there were some infiltrators, some false teachers within the church who had come into the Corinthian church and those false teachers had done so much damage and the Corinthians had strayed so far that Paul's first visit to correct them was filled with, you can imagine, quite a bit of drama. He had to speak some tough words to them And that's why he calls it there in verse 1, a painful visit. The church drama had gotten so bad uh, that he had to kind of speak harshly for them to hear the truth that was needed for them to make a course correction. They were putting up with lots of things. Let me name just a few of the egregious ones. They were putting uh, up with incest and adultery and infighting, just to name a few of the many problems that they weren't actually dealing with. And so Paul here, he speaks sternly to them so that they would deal with their issues in his first visit to them. And so he said, verse 1, I I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, he says. And then he asks this rhetorical question, verse 2, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad by dealing with the sin, but the one whom I have pained? In other words, if if I had to speak tough words to you again, to get you to do what you already know is needed, is it going to be the entire church against me? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying there. And so, verse 3, So I wrote as I did, meaning he wrote a sternly worded letter instead of visiting again. I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. So that, so that y'all would bring me joy, Paul is saying, by dealing with your problems instead of avoiding them. So that y'all could have, uh, y'all could have sort of your act together, he's saying, before I came to visit you again. That's why he says he wrote as he did, for I felt sure, keep reading, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. So, so as the planter of this church, and of the, as the first pastor of the church of Corinth here, Paul views his personal joy as wrapped up in this issue for them of whether they will experience the joy of seeing sin dealt with well. I know that sounds a little silly to say, crazy to say, uh, but Paul would find joy in the Corinthian church dealing with sin well instead of avoiding it as they had done, because they had let a lot go on that they shouldn't have, and it was affecting the congregation. They thought that avoiding the problems would help, but Paul knows here that dealing with the sin, the sin issues among them, would bring them freedom and joy for all, perhaps even the ones most guilty. And he saw his own joy as wrapped up in that process for them. So this is a hard situation, which is why he wrote to them. Verse 4. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. Paul's saying, listen, it's not easy for me to confront people like y'all who aren't confronting your own problems, he's saying to that church. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, verse 4, but to let you know the abundant love 
that I have for you. You see, the Corinthians were perceiving Paul's tough words to them as painful, and in a sense they were, but those stern words that he had for them was, was about forcing them to deal with the problems in their midst. And so he says, I, not particularly fun for me <laughs> to say these harsh words so that you'll do what you know you need to do. It's Mother's Day today. Make sure you call mom if you still can. It's Mother's Day today, and anyone uh, whose mother taught them anything at all helpful knows full well that a mother's loving correction often seems painful, but it's for the best. And it's not always fun to have to be the disciplinarian, right? It's like when parents say, this hurts me as much as it hurts you. I used to swear, it can't possibly. I'm the one being spanked. I mean, that's what I hear people <laughs> who got spanked as a kid report to me. But, but, but now that I'm older and I'm disciplining my kids, I, I know it's true. And Paul is trying to be a nurturing parent here. And sometimes nurture that helps people grow means speaking words they may not like hearing, which is why his visit was painful, which is why the letter he wrote in between visits was stern. Paul's trying to be a nurturing parent here. He's saying, listen, Corinthians, get your act together and deal with your internal problems. How many of us have experienced churches and marriages and relationships where we're not dealing with our internal problems? We preach them yet. Paul's going so far even to say, you're missing out on the joy of the freedom from sin that's available when you avoid when you avoid dealing with internal conflict. You're missing out on the joy of the freedom from the sin that's creating so much drama among you. You're missing out on experiencing freedom by avoiding your problems. Paul says, so get your act together and deal with your problems, comma, Corinthian church. So they did. They did. With a mix of uh, discipline and forgiveness that we'll see here. With a mix of discipline and forgiveness. Look at verse 5 and following with me. It says this. Now, if anyone has caused pain... He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. In a sense, Paul refuses to take the matter personally, even if it was mostly one guy to whom he was referring, and that guy was mostly against Paul. He says this, For such a one, for an individual offender like this, who infiltrated their ranks and led the rebellion in the Corinthian church, for such a one... This punishment by the majority, which, pause, most likely meant excommunication from the local church fellowship. Uh, we know that from a few different places in Second Corinthians. For such a one, this punishment by the majority, meaning by the Corinthians to excommunicate the, the troublemaker, is enough, he said. <laughs> Probably would be enough. 
So the church did finally begin, uh, probably because of what Paul calls the severe letter he wrote to them. Uh, they begin to finally deal with their internal problems and conflict, specifically of one particular man, probably by kicking him out. Listen, the early church was serious about creating an environment where people who want healing can get healing. It wasn't just about being mean. It was about helping people to come to terms with their own sin as a responsibility to shepherd people to the cross and about keeping a place where people who knew they needed healing could come and experience healing. If you'll see there, and what I just said, it's a mix of that grace and truth. Keep reading, verse 7. So, now that you've disciplined him, you should rather turn, on the other hand, to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So the church... Uh, had, had, had previously been, been kind of lenient. Okay, they'd been quite lenient. Given what went on was something they allowed to happen. But now they were running the risk, Paul said, of being too severe. He's saying ousting him, ousting him from the fellowship was punishment enough, Paul says. So balance that, he says here now, with an affirmation of forgiveness that comes from God. The word Paul uses here for forgiveness in verse 7 is a, is a word he doesn't normally use for forgiveness. Uh, it, it shares the same root as the word grace. So, so it means uh, forgiveness that is an act of extending God's grace as a free gift that cannot be earned. It means extending God's goodness and blessing and his favor and his mercy to someone who can't possibly earn and deserve it, just like, hmm, you. Which is to say it's only by grace that anyone is saved at all. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So Paul says, forgive him as you've been forgiven by God. We begin to see the balance of both grace and truth here. So I beg you, he says in verse 8, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Reaffirm your love for him. It's like when you discipline a child, you have to explain why the discipline is happening and let them know you're disciplining out of love and, and for them to grow and for them to become who God made them to be and instead of out of your own anger. Reaffirm your love for him, he tells the Corinthians, even though you have also had to discipline him. And this isn't just, by the way, uh, a silly human-centered feeling of emotional love like warm fuzzies. This is an affirmation of unconditional love that comes from God alone. This is the kind of love that is the new reality for how relationships work in light of the gospel of grace. This is love, he says, that looks like grace. Look at verse 9. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you're obedient in everything. I need to know, he's saying, that you understand that what I've taught you, what I've written about in the letter, what I, what I told you about how to deal with sin when I was with you in this church at the beginning, I need to know that you understand. Otherwise, this will happen again. And when it happens again, you're going to need to know what to do. So he's telling them, if you don't mix, Corinthians, discipline with grace, church drama will be the norm for you. Internal conflict that will lead people astray will be the norm for you. They will misunderstand 
what it means to have a forever relationship with God based on grace. They will misunderstand what it means to have a relationship with God based on the truth of his holiness that needs his grace. You see, it's both. He closes with this. Look at verses 10 and 11. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. This is the idea of Paul's joy being wrapped up with them and their following through. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Friends, what Paul is saying here is this. Churches that do not discipline sinful offenders and that do not deal well with sin with a mix of both truth and grace, churches that do that are being used by the evil one (laughs) to create an environment within them where sin can flourish. Church hurt happens mostly because we are unwilling to deal with the sin and the internal conflicts among us. Now, while we can't solve all your problems of sin and pain and hurt in one sermon, I'm sorry to disappoint, when it comes to dealing with the underlying problems of sin and pain and hurt, especially if you've been burned, let me suggest just a few thoughts that I think are helpful uh, that come from the text. First is this. Uh, Not everything qualifies as church hurt. Uh, Not everything qualifies as church hurt. Here in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul isn't dealing with normal human frailty and, and dumb things said. He's not dealing with small and important things. We've all said dumb things and instantly regretted it, right? You don't have to, you know, shake your head, yes, I know it's true of you, just like it's true of me. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Norman human frailty and occasional slip-ups that aren't a pattern of sin that damages people and that, that's not worth creating drama over. Proverbs 19.11 says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Scripture says in a number of places uh, that, that God is slow to anger. 1 Corinthians 13 says love keeps no record of wrongs. Sometimes what we call church hurt is just normal human frailty. Uh, so not everything qualifies it. So just take it for what it is and move on without creating undue drama. <laughs> Often what we should just see as normal human frailty and sort of dumb things said need to just be named for what they were and moved on without creating undue drama and taking everything personally. As a sub-point of this point of not everything qualifies as church hurt, by the way, let me also add this. Sometimes we inappropriately call church hurt growth we're not hearing from someone more mature trying to tell us how to grow. It's sometimes just plain people who know more than you trying to help you, but you don't know it. Sometimes people leave because they're leaving here saying, I didn't like that place because, well, they demanded I grow. That's true. 
if it's growth that's needed, that's not church hurt. So first, not everything qualifies as church hurt. Second, if it is real church hurt, name it as such and deal with it head on. It does no good to pretend that your hurt isn't real. Call it for what it is. Mourn the loss. Mourn the sin you've experienced and deal with it head on. You see, close relationships experience conflict. It's what happens when sinful people get together. Which is to say, it's what happens when people get together. All close relationships experience normal conflict. Avoiding that conflict never helps because you cannot truly avoid conflict. You only deal with it or end up imposing it on those around you. Paul here is a model for us because he didn't avoid the conflict like the Corinthians had been doing. He confronted their avoidance and insisted that they deal with the problem. And then he and the Corinthians, who had exchanged some harsh words, continued their relationship in light of the larger joy of seeing conflict dealt with well. They became a community where godliness could flourish because they didn't avoid the conflict that sin created. As an implication of this, let me also add this. Avoiding conflict by swallowing bitterness or by leaving the circumstances almost ensures we will never fully belong anywhere meaningfully. Avoiding conflict by merely swallowing the bitterness or leaving the circumstance entirely almost ensures you will never fully belong anywhere meaningfully. If it's real church hurt, you deal with it head on. Third, you don't deal with sin and hurt and pain with either of the extremes of leniency or rigidity. Neither work well. If you do, with those extremes of leniency or rigidity, you will create a perversion of the gospel at both extremes that runs the risk of leading people astray in an understanding of who God is and what the gospel is and what the cross means and how grace works. Rather, you deal with sin and hurt and pain with a Christ-like mixture of grace and truth. Paul instructed the Corinthians to discipline, but also to reaffirm their love for the offender. There was both the truth of the offense stated as such, not avoided, and there was also the extending of the grace that comes from God. Godly restoration always involves both, which is to say that the fix to church hurt is not escape, but a long-term commitment to the messy middle of sticking with relationships where both grace and truth operate in a way that looks like the character of God. You see, we deal with sin and pain and hurt, all three of them the same way. By understanding together, in community, the truth 
of God about your sin and the grace of God for your sin. We become who God created us to be by coming to terms with an understanding of the truth of God about your sin and the grace of God for your sin. And as we learn to extend both of those to one another as the basis for our relationships, not avoiding on the one hand the inner conflict and the sin that creates struggle, and on the other hand, reconciling through the grace that comes from Jesus that we didn't deserve that he gave to us as a free gift. That's how this works, this side of heaven. And in churches and in families and in marriages and relationships that get this balance of both grace and truth, this messy middle of sticking with the process of that relationship, those people become who God created them to be. Processing through the sin and the hurt and the pain. Not pretending it's not real, but extending grace that comes from the righteousness of Jesus alone for us into those conflicts. This is how we begin uh, to deal with church hurt. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, in the quiet of this moment, we admit to you that we have um, perhaps avoided hurt and pain and sin from others. Or that we have been the source of those for others. Father, continue to give us in the person of Jesus and the model of the early church and the witness of those who have gone before. a picture and a model for us of dealing with broken world um, where sometimes we do hurt, where we do experience pain. Um, Father, forgive us for trying to deal with things as if we personally are the source of forgiveness. Help us to deal, Lord, with sin in ways um, that recognize that you alone are a source of forgiveness, that we are willing vessels to extend uh, what comes from you and that, that in realizing the truth of that process, Lord, uh, you can bring to us uh, a processing through and a dealing with uh, the sin and the pain and the hurt. Uh, Father, we acknowledge in the quiet of this moment that for many of us, uh, we have experienced hurt from people who we thought we're supposed to be helpful for us and who we trusted, who we placed our hope in. Um, Father, we ask that you would create among us a place of safety and healing um, so that we would point people to the cross, um, so that the healing that you bring would, because, would be because of your son Jesus and that it's his perfect and sinless life for us um, that brings us into right relationship. And that that truth vertically with you could be how we operate with one another horizontally. Uh, Lord, make of us a people who deal well um, with the brokenness among us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.